0: John chapter 11 beginning with verse number 1 we're going to read down through verse number 27 which will be our text for the morning now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the lord with anoint with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin Didymus, said to Thank you. You may be seated. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Scripture. I want to take this chapter basically three divisions. This morning we're going to look at these first 27 chapters. And I want to introduce it by showing you here the connection of this chapter with the previous chapter, John 10, which closes the public ministry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. The miracle here in chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, was in a sense not a public miracle. It was a good, sort of a private thing. It was seen by many and believed on by many, but it was really a private thing. John chapters 11 and 12 are connected and are preparatory to the Passion Week. This is where we really begin to see how it's all going to play out uh, in Christ dying and being raised again. The last and greatest of Christ's miracles is the trigger event that causes the Sanhedrin to carry out their plan to kill Jesus. John has presented Jesus as the bread of life, as the water of life, as the light of life. And now he will present Jesus as life itself I am the resurrection and the life in this last miracle Jesus points to the great fruitfulness of his own death the fact that Lazarus will be raised from the dead is a preview of the resurrection that all who are in Jesus Christ will have because Jesus died on the cross and and was raised again on the third day. And this will be expanded into in the twelfth chapter in his discussion of the kernel of wheat there, except the kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it but if it goes into the ground and it dies, it gives up its own life, then there is the wheat that comes up from it and uh, which is God's? It's amazing what uh, how this works. Take this little seed, goes in the ground and basically dies. But in the dying, it germinates, and a wheat plant goes grows up there, and the wheat plant bears grain, and it multiplies itself. So Jesus is basically saying, except if I die. And I am buried, and I then I will be raised, and I will be fruitful and multiply in that, and there will be many. And this, the final verses there of, of chapter ten, verses forty-two or forty through forty-two, uh, we have Jesus here retiring to Batania, or Batania. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's Bashan. It's that region. When the children of Israel came into the land, they saw that before they crossed the Jordan River, and they said, uh, "This is what's wrong with this land. You know, we'd like to have it. Uh, this is great for pasturing and all." And uh, the, the the two and a half tribes there that stayed on that side, and uh, that course upset everybody. But that was part of it. They even made a, a monument there to make sure that. Uh, People would understand that it was one nation, but they were on this side of it. They're in this area called Bashan, on the east of the Jordan. In the tetrarchy, there of Philip at that uh, Philip Herod at that particular time, the Jews were seeking to kill him. We we saw that in that tenth chapter, but his time was not yet. So he re, he discreetly. Escapes their clutches by going across the Jordan over into this region. Now, what what is significant about that? See, and we don't, your casual reading of the text, we we miss a lot. And so here, John began his ministry it in that place. This last of the Old Testament prophets, closing the old covenant period, for the law. Jesus said, was until John. And afterwards, it's a new covenant that Jesus establishes by his life and death. But John the Baptist began his ministry there uh, back in John chapter 1, verse 28. And it was here that he introduced Jesus. And Jesus' public ministry began here with his baptism. The Spirit of God came down upon Jesus. I believe fully Jesus was God come in the flesh. But Jesus didn't act independent as God. He acted as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did in his life on earth, he did filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when his public ministry began. The Spirit led him. And everything he did was by the Spirit. And I'm sure that many of the things that Jesus knew were prompted by the Holy Spirit, not by his divine omniscience. Somehow God had the capability of keeping himself in that way. That Jesus was a, walked as a man on earth. This is a mystery. Very, very much of a mystery. But he was God come in the flesh. But he lived a man under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit doing the will of God on the earth. So, it was also here that John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There in the second chapter of John. Or actually John 129. And what a better place to go where Jesus now ends his public ministry, the place where it started. John here calls this region Bethany. Bethany beyond Jordan. Not Batania. And which causes some to argue that John made a mistake here. This is Batania, not Bethany. That's not an error. And here's the reason. Because the region is referred to By that name in the Targums, which are paraphrases of the Old Testament in Aramaic, spellings are often different as letters carry uh, similar sounds. Bethany is very close to Bashan, the Hebrew Bashan, Bethany. In Aramaic, it's an Aramaic term, is very close to the Hebrew word Bashan, both in spelling and pronunciation. However, John is writing in Greek and is careful to distinguish here the Bethany area across the Jordan from the Bethany town 2 miles away from Jerusalem where he's going to perform this last miracle. That's an I think is a significant thing also. And probably using the spelling to connect it, he wants us to connect these two places. As said uh, jesus last public miracle in bethany which is two miles from jerusalem thirdly here we find a very subtle but clear proof of christ's ministry in the seemingly incidental reference at the end of the chapter let me explain it how how is this remember this retirement signals the end of jesus ministry thus The witness of John the Baptist about Jesus is reviewed here. John showed that Jesus was indeed the true Israel, the Savior of the world. While the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, however, those in rural Batania, or Batania, actually Batania, remembered John's witness about him. And they found John's witness to Jesus to be true and faithful. And although he was a prophet, prophets were generally remembered by some sign which they gave. However, they they said of John, he did no sign. He did no sign. Not one miracle is attributed to John the Baptist. However, his words pointed men to Jesus on whom they now believed. John did no miracle, but everything he said about this man is true, and many believed on Jesus. You know, that's an amazing truth. God knows how to, to, uh, to draw men unto Himself. That brings us to the fourth thing here that I want us to see, and that is, the chapter, this chapter eleven here begins with this word now. Now c- connects the two chapters. We're reading along there, and now so it's wanting us to see to understand that, that there is this connection, and the Jews here referring to the Pharisees, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and, uh, and, as I'm, and as I'm looking at this and considering this, I think that uh, the term has to do with those who submit themselves to the Pharisees' way, to their teaching, to their way. These were the, the rabbis, were generally among the Pharisees. The, uh, Sad, the Sadducees were the elite class. Uh, people weren't following them they were they were the priests and they had kind of isolated themselves but the pharisees were in among the people ministering to the people uh, through their their rabbis uh, their teaching their scribes uh, through the writing and so the people were were that listened to them and submitted to their regulations, their rules and everything, are called Jews also. The Jews. Actually, technically, it's a reference to people that belonged to the tribe of Judah and lived in the region of Judah. But I think it takes on, particularly in John's Gospel, takes on the significance of people who were were interested in submitting to to, uh, the Pharisees' teaching. But I think perhaps people who had some heart for God they they did have some heart for God so now they're listening and they're and the spirit of God now is opening their hearts to the truth and they're believing on Jesus many of them so when we have this uh, the chapter chapter 11 opens here with with uh, now, a certain man of Bethany, of the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, he was, uh, this was Mary, the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And uh, Lazarus was ill. Uh, let, let's see, actually, what I want to do is down there, when he passed away, many of the Jews came out from Jerusalem to comfort her. Comfort them. So the the Jews here, I, are Pharisaic. They're they're Pharisee, They're either Pharisees themselves or they're they're following the Pharisaic teaching, and they're they're pretty well-to-do people. But they, they these are the ones the Jews had, had challenged Jesus' messiahship back in the tenth chapter. Remember, at the feast of dedication, when where. This uh, expectation of Messiah was just burning in their hearts. They had been, they were celebrating the rededication of the temple there back in uh, the uh, I think one forty nine when uh, Judas the Hammer and under the Hasmonians had uh, taken back Jerusalem and rededicated the temple there from the uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. So now, they are uh, this messianic expectation was alive, and so they asked Jesus, "If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly." And he said, "I have told you, I told you again and again. You don't have spiritual ears. You can't hear what the Spirit says. The Word does not reside in you. You're not His sheep." So while there we're introduced to the family now of Lazarus from Bethany of Judah. This Lazarus who took ill. And his sisters now send for Jesus. Uh, Jesus received that summons as a divine signal but he remained in Botania for two more days. to see here what uh, what would take place so now w- what we see here in the text the verses of the text before us we're not even going to get into the to the miracle itself today but I want us to consider here a, co- uh, a couple of things with respect to his shepherding we had this good shepherd discourse now we're going to see the good shepherd on display and how he cares for his people, how he how he ministers to in the lives of these people. And here's the situation. We have this family in Bethany whose brother is ill. And Jesus could heal him. So they send a message, Lazarus whom you love is ill. And the unspoken Request there is common healing. And Jesus stays here, he loves them. So he's gonna jump immediately into action and hot put it up there as quick as he can to heal Lazarus before he passes. Well, first of all, there there's an interesting time constraint here. He stays for two more days, but think about that in this in this setting, to get there from where he is in Batania would require four days' journey. If he left immediately after he received the message from those two sisters, he could not get there before Lazarus passed. Because it took four days to get there and when Jesus gets there, think about this, he's been in the grave for four days. So he died when they started there. He was buried. They had the funeral when he started his journey to Bethany. But he remained there two days to assure that Lazarus would was dead now so i see him dealing with three people we're going to we're going to deal with the, with the family here first then we're going to deal with the, uh the disciples and then we're the, lastly we're going to uh deal with with martha so first of all his loving his own then this is verses one through six john here introduces us to lazarus his friend from Bethany in Judea, whose sisters were Mary and Martha. And this is the one who anointed Jesus there in chapter 12. The, the anointing hasn't happened yet in his gospel, but he but he treats it as if it had already happened. So uh, I, I'm not quite sure how that works out, but, but this is the Mary that anoints him there in the 12th chapter, verse, verse 3. Lazarus became ill by divine appointment. God is, God is the God who allows people to suffer. Sickness is a result of sin. Your immediate suffering may is always a result of sin, but it may not be necessarily a res, consequence of some sinful act that you've committed. But it is the consequence of sin the fact that we are all sinners. We suffer. And sickness is part of our suffering. But it also is a means of glorifying God. All the healings that took place under Jesus' ministry brought glory to God. Because many times when the the, the those who were ill were healed The people who saw it glorified God. Said, we've never seen anything like this. So, Jesus is going to now show here that sickness is not really the issue. Because sickness leads to dying. And where you really see the glory of God is when God overcomes the consequence of sin, which is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. So now Lazarus is ill by divine appointment for the glory of God. And Jesus made it clear in verse number 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And what he's he's saying there is that that here's a marvelous truth. In this case, his suffering is is, is not the consequence of sin which leads to dying, but will lead to life, which will bring glory to God in it. And here John reveals relationships not not explored in any of the other Gospels. Jesus had friends. You know that's that's <laughs> that's interesting. He had some friends. We don't know all the friends he had, but we do know this one family were friends. And that's a special relationship that he had with them. He spent time with them. He was often with them when he was in Judea. He stayed in Bethany with them. And now his friend Lazarus was ill. And the sisters quickly sent this message to him. He whom you love is ill. They knew of this special relationship between Jesus and Lazarus. And now they want him to understand he has a need. He's ill. And I think when they're saying that, they're not saying, well, he's got a little cold. Or he's he's woke up not feeling the best today. They knew that what he had was serious and probably would end in his dying. That is, I think, the significance. He whom you love is sick, very sick dangerously so, he may die soon. So this was the unspoken summons then for Jesus to come immediately to heal him. And the proof of this is that when he does come, Martha says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We wanted you to come and heal him but he died before you got here. If you had been here, he wouldn't have passed. We, that's that's an assumption on Martha's part because it, we don't know for sure that it was God's will for for him not to die. Some people get sick and die and that's they do so in the will of God. And perhaps that would, would have been the case here with Lazarus. But John stated here, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. He wanted to be sure that Lazarus was dead. And he did so because he loved him. This is covenant love. Sometimes, there's another problem we often have, is that, we, we have an emergency situation and we expect God to jump on it right now. Lord, you've got to fix it now. And He doesn't. And then we start questioning His love. Does He really care? If the Lord really loved me and He really cared for me, why doesn't He act on this thing and come and, and fix it now? Sometimes God waits two days. Sometimes He doesn't do anything at all. But whatever He does, that He does for His own glory to, to, to perform His own will in our lives. So it was the will of God that He should stay for two more days in the place where He was, in Batania there beyond the Jordan. As I pointed out, the average travel time in that day was 40 to 45 kilometers per day Batania was 150 kilometers from Bethany, so it was a four-day trip. Jesus waited two days for him to die. He actually, as I pointed out earlier, they had the funeral on the, on the day that he left to go to them. So, one might ask, was Jesus not interested in meeting the needs of his close friends? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And does his plan for staying away another two days suggest that he was somewhat callous to the need or reluctant to travel? No. To head off such a conclusion, John quickly records now Jesus' love to Martha and her sister and Lazarus. No, it was out of love that he waited. There's a special relationship he has with these two. And by the way, it's not unique to them. For this is the relationship every believer has with Jesus Christ. So this unspoken covenant summons and was really a divine signal that brought Jesus out of seclusion and occasioned a divine sovereign plan which revealed more of His purpose and His power. So Jesus responds now with this to to this message with a cryptic word. He says to the disciples, this illness does not lead to death. What does he mean? By this, Jesus did not mean that the illness was not fatal because Lazarus died. (laughs) But rather that the illness served a greater purpose. Lazarus must die in order to reveal the greater purpose that, fellow, uh, that followers of Jesus, even though they may die, will be delivered by death in the resurrection. You know, that's what I... You know, some people say, well, I'm looking forward to the rapture. I don't know how many times I've seen that on Facebook. I'm, oh, raptures any day, raptures any day. I don't care about a rapture. I care about the resurrection. I'm looking for the day when my body will be raised... And changed and transformed into a body like unto his glorious body. But that's the purpose. Lazarus has to die for the revelation of this greater purpose. The purpose of, of the glory of God in this instance does not mean that God was looking for praise for what he does. Rather, the Lord was about to reveal something glorious about himself. This resurrection will exalt Jesus Christ and bring attention to, the glory, to, to this glorious revelation of Himself. He is life. Because He lives. I live also. He is my life. And that's what we see here. It also, I think, shows three important truths. Number one, Jesus refused to be manipulated, but rather waited for the Father's timing. The ladies said, Get here quick. God said, Wait. Jesus said, I'll wait. Number two, Jesus waited to be certain that the miracle would be beyond dispute. He's been four days in the grave by now his body is stinking when he asked to have the stone removed removed from the face of the tomb there wasn't any question he was just uh, you know in fact that's one of the theories of of the resurrection of jesus christ was that he really wasn't dead and that when they opened the tomb there he uh he revived he was resuscitated Not resurrected. So Jesus was in the grave three days, and they thought that of him four days, and his body and Lazarus' body was beginning to rot. He was dead, and everybody knew it. Thirdly, Jesus desired to confirm the faith of both the disciples and the family in Bethany. He wanted them to have their faith. Firmly confirmed. So here's the second thing here. He's going to deal now with the disciples. See his love for the family. His covenant love. It's a covenant love that he has for the family. Now what about his disciples? So after the wait here to assure the passing of Lazarus, Jesus informed the disciples, let us go again to Judea. To Judea again. Excuse me. Verse number seven. At this point, the disciples express their concern. Rabbi. Notice they 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 still refer to him as Rabbi. <laughs> they haven't really fully grasped the concept that he is Messiah. They believe it, but they just they haven't they haven't really gotten it down. So they still call him Rabbi. Rabbi. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? See, they don't know the. Perhaps they have not received, understood the message that were sent by the, the, by Mary and Martha, you know, summoning Jesus to come to them. But uh, they knew Judah to be a dangerous place, and Jesus had just recently left the area for that reason why would he now desire to return and put himself into danger again and perhaps the disciples were also concerned for their own welfare (laughs) We, we don't want to go back there that's dangerous so jesus responds here with the reference that we need to walk in the light when the when the light is on we need to walk in the light. Boy, I tell you this is a this is a message many Christians have, have failed to recognize. I saw I saw an interesting little beam and I thought this it, this exactly expresses it. Little children can't wait for maturity. When they become an adult, I'm going to be an adult. Then you become an adult. From adult to old age it takes ten minutes, and I mean that's about right too. I, you know, I was the other evening I was driving in the, in the bus there, and I and uh, I thought about that. I said, "Boy, that is the truth." It, we, I've been here for thirty-two years. What happened to it? I mean, it, it's gone. Just, seems like ten minutes ago. But that's that's a powerful truth. We need to under, we need to to really understand. We live in a fleeting day. Walk in the light while there's light. There's twelve hours in the day. Then it's dark. We need to do what we can do. When we have the opportunity to do it, we have this tendency to, well, I'll I'll put it off. I'll put it off. There's a lot of stuff we've tried to we put off and we'll never do because they, we put it off. But what what about the will of God for you? What is God's will for your service to Him? We get sidetracked with all these other things, and suddenly it's over. And what we had a our hearts set on doing, you know, I'm going to do something for the glory of God. And the opportunity is gone. We are more successful working in the daylight rather than in the darkness of night. And the application that Jesus makes here is another important truth. He was safe as long as He performs the Father's will, He's not worrying about dying. He came to die, and his time has not yet come. His hour is not here. He's not worried. He's doing the Father's will. So he exclaimed, explained to them, our friend Lazarus, our friend, notice our friend Lazarus, it's not just Jesus' friend, he's the friend of all the disciples. Our friend Lazarus is ill, has fallen excuse me, has fallen asleep. And I must go waken him. Now that's, that's interesting. Think about that from these disciples. Wait a minute, Lord, that's a dangerous place. They, they were, they're ready to stone you there. Lazarus has, is ill, but he's just he's gone to sleep. Now if we understand this correctly, if he fell asleep, that's probably a good sign that he's healing. And his body needs to sleep now to recuperate. So you don't want to go wake him up because that would defeat why he's sleeping. (laughs) You see? They got this all figured out in their minds. Better to stay here. Let him sleep. We're safe. He's with healing. That's good. So Jesus then had to say... No, guys, I want want you to understand, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And now I must go raise him from the dead. But he uses this ambiguous language to elicit this response from the disciples. He wants the disciples to respond. Will they, where their fear override their uh, of danger override their need to do the to do their duty and to follow Jesus anywhere? And as I said, they misunderstood at first, so Jesus had to correct that. Lazarus has died, and the reason for his death was to establish Jesus' authority as the Messiah and Savior. The Jews that ask, "If you are the if you are the Christ, tell us plainly." Now he's going to go do that sign that is i it cannot be denied. He is the Messiah, but they're not going to, they're they're not going to accept that either. They're going to reject him again. But some will be some will believe. So he says to them. For your sake, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. That you may believe. But let us go. And I I remind you, what was Martha's response? You are the Christ. She believed. Now, thirdly here, the hero of this whole thing is Thomas himself. Didymus, Thomas Didymus, which means the twin. Only John gives us information about him. And uh, in your notes there, John 14, 5, 20, verses 24 to 28, uh, we have references to uh, Thomas there in, in the Gospel of John. However, we have no knowledge of either his parents or or his twin. We don't know who who his parents were. We have no knowledge of his twin. But in this text, John shows that Thomas was a practical person. Very practical. He likes facts made clear and indisputable. He And so he also then understood the principle of discipleship. He's, uh, this is not a you know, you, you, sometimes you read that and people have taken the idea that Thomas was just, ah, it's a resignation thing. Well, if you're going to go die, we'll just have to go die with you. I don't think that's what it was at all. He understood the principle of discipleship that you follow Jesus anywhere and everywhere, even to death. Let's go. He's trying to encourage the disciples. We're followers of Jesus. Where he goes, we go. And if it means we die, we he dies, we die with him. But it is interesting there that when Jesus died, he became a doubter. He, he, He had his period. But you see, here, here's where we see the good shepherd in action again. When Thomas doubts, what does Jesus do? He comes to Thomas to fix his doubting, and he reaches out his hands and see see my hands in my side, because he Thomas the doubter had said, "Unless I see the wounds and put my hands into the wounds, I won't believe." So now Jesus comes to him, and says, "Here, see him, feel him." What was Thomas's response? He fell on his face before him, and he said, "My Lord and my God, my Lord and my God." So let me finish up here with the sister, and I don't want to take too much with longer with this. just I just want to deal with one sister and that's, and that's Martha. Martha is the first to be dealt with. She's the one who understands Jesus the least. She's a disciple, she loves Christ, but she doesn't really understand him. So the good shepherd comes to Martha first so that Martha will understand better who he is. He's not so worried about Mary. Mary knows Jesus in an intimate way and she, she has a relationship with him that Martha doesn't have. So Martha, when she heard Jesus was coming, went out right away. This Mary was the one who sat at Jesus' feet, remembering the story in Luke's Gospel. There, Martha made a feast there in Bethany, was serving, and she's out in the kitchen, all busy trying to get everything ready. And she's upset that Mary is not out there with, with her. Jesus, don't you care that my sister? Is there and she should be in here helping me? Jesus said, She's chosen that good part that's not going to be taken from her. She sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy. That's Luke 10 38 to 42. Martha sought to get Jesus to rebuke her sister for her failure. But Jesus defended her by subtly rebuking Martha. You need to be in here sitting at my feet. Forget to let the supper take care of itself. I mean, there were servants that were doing the work, actually. Thus, John here deals with Martha first. And when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Here again, some commentators, I think mistakenly have seeing this as a rebuke for Jesus' delay. She's telling, kind of telling him off. Wish you'd have got here quicker. But I don't think that's it either, because I think the uh, it's not a rebuke, nor is it a response to grief. She was actually uh, making a simple declaration. And her real faith is exor- is demonstrated there in verse number 22, which supports the fact that she was not rebuking Jesus. She had simply had simple, confident trust in the person of Jesus. She, so she she said, "Even now, whatever you ask of the of God, He'll give it to you." Martha was confident that Jesus' relationship with his Father was such that he could get whatever he asked for of the Father, and he, she's saying, "I'm going to leave it to you." I'll leave it to you. My brother's dead. You could have healed him. But now, whatever you choose to do is will be the right thing. Because whatever you could ask of the Father, he'd do it. And Jesus' response to her is a masterpiece of steadied ambiguity. (laughs) And it was designed... To bring attention to the extent of Martha's understanding of Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, I could have healed him, but I can raise him from the dead as well. I, it's not that I. Have resurrection power and I have healing power. That's not it. I am it. Wow. And what was her response? I believe that you are the Christ, the one coming into the world. You are the Messiah. The Jews—they're questioning. They don't understand. They're always asking, "Show us the sign! Show us the sign!" But it's not signs; it's the word. It's Jesus' own word, and he/she believes. So Martha believed her brother, and she believed that her brother would indeed be resurrected someday in the future. That was that was the Jewish hope. The Jew, you know, Jews didn't like Christians, they said, well, he's gonna die, he's gonna to go to heaven. No, they they said he's gonna die and wait in the tomb until the resurrection comes, and then he's gonna be brought to life. They didn't really fully understand that. Even in the Psalms you read, where when David expresses the dead don't praise you. you, you the, those that are in the tombs are doing you no good. Because they didn't really understand the afterlife after death until Jesus really made it clear. But here, Martha said, yeah, I believe that He's going to be raised in the resurrection day. But Jesus intended that her faith would be more personal. Doctrinal, yes, but experiential too. So Jesus' declaration to Martha was that resurrection was not merely an eschatological hope, but a present-day reality in in His own person. I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 25. Resurrection and life are not synonymous. That Jesus is the life makes the resurrection possible. It's not actually a promise, but a fact. Believers possess the life of Jesus. And, they, and so her confession there in verse number 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And it revealed her, her fuller understanding and faith in the person of of the Savior. This understanding then comes only by supernatural power and by revelation. For example, Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter responded, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now think about that with respect to Martha as well. She believed because the supernatural power, the Holy Spirit of God opened her eyes to to the truth. And now Jesus is going to demonstrate it to her. So... Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus your life? Not is He your, this person who is directly involved in your life that's helping you and that's one day maybe take you to heaven when you die. No, no, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, is He your life? In other words, you're living right now. Is it Jesus' life or is it your life? That you hope Jesus will help you with. And if it's Jesus' life, then it's Jesus' life. And is your faith based on what you hope will be in some future expectation? Or do you understand, right now, you have resurrection life. And then is your faith the supernatural work of the Spirit bringing you into this vital and present personal relationship with the living Savior? This is how we need to live. Father, I'm very grateful for Your mercies. Thank You, Lord, for the opportunity of considering this truth this morning. I pray for the Spirit of God to move in our own hearts. And Lord, that we might be the means of a spiritual awakening of others about us. That as we live out resurrection life, they may see that resurrection life in us and long for it because the Spirit of God has opened their eyes. And we just praise You and thank You for what You'll do in our midst. Lord, that we may be like Martha. We may be like like Thomas following you even to death. And we'll just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.